Well, when I was growing up, when I was in my early 20s, when I was young and stupid, uh, I had a mate who liked to play a bit of a trick on me and the rest of our group of friends. You see, when uh, we, we lived in a place where there was lots of country roads and when we would be driving around at night time, it was very dark out on these country roads. And I had this one mate who any time we were driving somewhere at night when it was really dark, no cars around, no street lights, no lights at all to see, without warning, without saying a word, he just flicked lights off. And we'd be driving along this country, narrow country road, going 100 k's an hour, probably faster... In utter darkness. Now, uh, that's a terrifying thing to do. I do not recommend that you do that to anyone. But one thing I will say, when you're flying down a country road in utter darkness, it's then that you really appreciate the lights. <laughs> you, you just are hanging on for those headlights to come back on, which they did. Friends, it's only when you get a blackout that you really come to appreciate the stash of candles that you have in the bottom drawer in the kitchen. It's only when you're lost in the bush and the sun sets that you're glad that you're carrying a torch. It's only when you're busting to pee in the middle of the night and you've kicked every wall in the house that you appreciate finding that light switch. And friends, it is only when you recognise the darkness of our world and the darkness of your own hearts that you will ever come to love the one who said... I am the light of the world. And so this morning, we're going to study these these famous words of Jesus. And I want to show you three things. If you've got uh, one of these handouts, there's there's an outline inside. You can follow along. First, we're going to see that Jesus is the light of the world. Second, we're going to look at the Pharisees and see that, and, and look into our own hearts to see the darkness of the world. And finally, we're going to see what we can do to walk, not in the darkness, but in the light. The light of the world, the darkness of the world, where we can see the light. So follow along with me. If you've got your Bibles, keep following. Uh, But first, to truly understand Jesus' words here, we need to understand a little bit of the context. Because in John chapter 7 and 8... Jesus is in Jerusalem at a festival, a Jewish festival called the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles. And the Festival of Booths was a way for Jews to remember God's care for the people during the Exodus generation. And it was basically like a week-long camping trip. Now, when you go camping, well, you sleep in a tent, you have to go collect water, and you generally have a big fire. And this festival has all three of those things. To remember the 40 years that the Jews spent wandering in the wilderness, Jews at this festival would sleep in tents for the week. That's where it gets the name, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. To thank God for the way that he provided water for the wilderness generation and for his provision of water for their harvests, Every day of the festival, there would be this priestly procession where they would carry water from the pool of Siloam and then they would pour it on the altar in the temple. Now, Jesus actually makes use of that that symbol in chapter 7 where he says, well, I've actually come to offer you better water, living water. But it's the third feature of this festival that is of interest for us this morning. Because when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, God went before them, didn't he? 
He went before them in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He led them. He guided them. He protected them. He was their light. And so at the start of this week-long festival, the priest would light four giant lamps in the temple courts. Now, we don't know exactly what they looked like. Perhaps they were something like the Olympic cauldron that gets lit at the start of the Olympics. What we do know is that they were enormous and that the light from those lamps shone brightly. It lit up the whole temple courts and even the area surrounding the temple. So where we pick up this story in John chapter 8, it's the last day of the festival. In verse 20, we're told that Jesus is standing in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, which is right where these lamps were. And so it's on this day, on the last day of the festival... On the day that the lamps are extinguished, like the closing ceremony of the Olympics where the torch goes out, Jesus is standing right under these giant lamps and then he boldly declares, I am the light. Verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Jews have just spent the week celebrating and giving thanks to God for being the light who redeemed and guided the people out of slavery in Egypt. But now, as those giant lamps are extinguished, there is a new light standing in the temple courts, a light that outshines them all, the light of the world. Now, notice that Jesus says he's not just a light, He's not just a light, one light among many. He's not just one way that people can find their way in this dark world. He says he is the light, the only light. Notice also that he doesn't say, I'm the light of the Jews. I'm the light of Israel. No, he doesn't say, I'm the light of Western civilization. No, he says, I am the light of the world. And because he's the light of the whole world, he can also say that whoever... Anyone without exception, whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But what does that actually mean? Jesus provides here a promise that all who follow him will never walk in darkness, which means Jesus also provides here a warning that unless we follow him, we will walk in darkness. But what is that darkness? And how do we know when we're walking in it? Well, the verses that follow show us. Point two on your outline. Because in verses 12 to 30, we see that the Pharisees are everything that Jesus is not. Throughout the passages, Jesus knows the Pharisees do not know. Jesus is from above. The Pharisees are from below. Jesus is not of this world. The Pharisees are of this world. Jesus is the light The Pharisees walk in darkness and they demonstrate for us three things that mark anyone walking in darkness. First of all, when you're living in darkness, you judge by human standards. You see, Jesus makes this incredible claim to being the light of the world. And what do the Pharisees do? They argue with him. He's just made the most 
said the most incredible thing, a delightful thing. But rather than investigate what it is that Jesus is saying here, the Pharisees scrape the bottom of the barrel of excuses and pull out an objection which entirely misses the point. You see, what they do is they bring out Deuteronomy 17, which says that if you're going to make an accusation against someone, you need a second witness to back you up. You can't just say, he hit me without some proof. You need evidence. Now, it it clearly doesn't apply in this situation. Jesus isn't making an accusation. But the Pharisees are so hard towards Jesus that they try to dismiss him on this legal technicality. They judge Jesus by their own flawed human standards. And as a result, well, they completely miss seeing the light. But it's not just the Pharisees who do this with Jesus, is it? We still see this today. We see it when people treat, uh, when people reject Jesus because, well, his miracles don't align with science. They impose their own standards on Jesus. We see it when people oppose Jesus because he preaches things that don't align with the culture's accepted morality. There are many people today that are still in the dark. They demand that Jesus plays by their rules and as a result they miss seeing his light. But brothers and sisters, it's not just people out there that judge Jesus by human standards. And there is a temptation for every one of us to assess the teaching of Jesus against our own so-called wisdom. Here's how it plays out. You hear Jesus say something that's a bit radical, like, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. But you have your own standards of goodness and blessing, right? And in your standards of goodness, uh, being persecuted and insulted is not good. And so you diminish Jesus' teaching. Maybe you just ignore it. Maybe you pass it off as hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. But whichever way you do it, you've actually imposed your standards over the top of Jesus. You've stepped back into dust. And friends, it plays out the same way when Jesus teaches about sex, about money, about forgiveness. In really subtle ways, we all face the temptation to oppose Jesus. And every time we do it, it's like we're drawing the curtains and shutting out the light. That's the first sign we're walking in darkness. It's that we oppose Jesus by judging him according to our own standards. The second way that people walk in darkness, the second sign that we see the Pharisees are walking in darkness is that they do not recognize God. Now, there's lots of things in this passage that the Pharisees don't understand, isn't there? I mean, the the whole section is basically just a montage of the Pharisees looking stupid. Every time they open their mouths, they just show that they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says the father testifies about him, the Pharisees go, where's your father? Looking for some man to walk in the room. When Jesus says he's going somewhere that they cannot go, they bizarrely ask, is he going to kill himself? And then when Jesus warns them about dying in their sin, they just say, who are you? They are so lost, so confused, so in the dark. But their biggest problem, it's not that they're unintelligent, It's that they don't know God. Verse 19, Jesus says, You do not know me or my Father. 
Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now, you see, the Pharisees think they know God. They've built their entire lives around the pursuit of God. They've built an entire system of trying to please God. Their whole lives revolve around God in a sense, but Jesus says they don't even know who God is. We need to recognize just how crazy this would have sounded to anyone standing in the temple courts that day. I mean, these are the God guys. If 60 Minutes were doing an investigation on God, the Pharisees are the people that you'd pull in for an interview. Surely they know God. But Jesus says they don't know God at all. And friends, that's because it's entirely possible to look like one of God's people without having anything to do with God at all. You can devote your life to church. You can commit to doing everything that God commands. You can be a baptized professing Presbyterian and yet all of that can count for nothing unless you know the one that God sent. There's a dangerous pattern in the church today where Christians are devoted to all sorts of God-related things without being devoted to God. So you get Christians today, and this is not new, this has existed forever, but you get Christians who are devoted to church and to serving in some kind of ministry. You'll get Christians who are devoted to doing good in the community. Christians who are devoted to family, devoted to Christian or homeschooling, devoted to opposing woke ideology or LGBTQ agenda or devoted to some other evil in society. And and these things may flow from your love for Jesus, and that's fine. But what we mustn't do is we mustn't make the mistake of making those things your goal. We must be devoted to Jesus, not to these, these other things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Center your life on on him. Because, friends, it's only when you know Jesus that you truly know God. And so, friends, seek him. Pursue him. Crave his voice. Those living in darkness will judge Jesus by their own standards. Those living in darkness will not and cannot know God. But finally, and worst of all, those living in darkness will die in darkness. By their refusal to accept Jesus, the Pharisees show that they are walking in darkness. And three times in verse 21 and then in verse 24, Jesus shows them what happens when you choose to walk in darkness. He says, you will indeed die in your sin. Now, you only need to watch the news or read a newspaper to see that our society has a, a graded view of death. What I mean by that is our society views the death of a young person very differently from the death of an elderly person. You see, our culture, when an old person dies, says it is sad. But when a young person dies, well, then that is a tragedy. In our culture, there is almost nothing worse than a life cut short. But friends, do you want to know what's worse than dying young? Dying in your sin. That is a tragedy. How much more grief should we feel of an 80-year-old who dies in darkness than an 8-year-old who dies in the light? Friends, you could live a 100 years on this earth. You could achieve everything that you set out to achieve. You could have all the money you ever want. You could have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who adore you. 
You could gain the whole world and still it would be an absolute tragedy if in the end you die in your sins. If you die with your sins unforgiven, your guilt unatoned for, standing before the righteous wrath of God. Friends, that is a tragedy. But your life doesn't need to be a tragedy. If you live in darkness, you will die in darkness. But friends, there is light. And the question that remains for us, point three on your outline, is how do we get this light? Where do we find this light? And the answer to that question is in verse 28. Because the Pharisees show us what it is like to walk in the darkness. And if we honestly reflect, we all know what it's like to walk in the darkness, don't we? We all know what it's like to have hard hearts that oppose Jesus. We all know what it's like to fail to recognize God as we go about our lives largely ignoring him. We all know what it's like to live in the darkness of our sin. If you're honest with yourself, you do. But in verse 28, Jesus says that if you want to see the light of the world, then you need to look at the cross. Verse 28, he says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. What he actually says there is, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am. He deliberately takes that that address that God gives to Moses. When Moses asks at the burning bush, who are you, God? What is your name? And God says, I am. Well, Jesus says, when you have lifted me up, when you have put me on the cross, then you will know that I am. Just as in the darkest of skies, the stars shine the brightest. It's in the darkest of days that the light of the world is seen most clearly. And so, friends, if you want to see Jesus, the light of the world, look at the hour when darkness reigned. Look to the day when the sun went black from midday to three in the afternoon. Look to the point in history when the light of the world stepped down into the darkness and took upon himself your darkness. Look to the one who took up his cross for you and then take up your cross and follow after. Friends, if you will not put your trust in Jesus, then you will die in your sin. But the wonderful news for us is that if we trust that Jesus died for our sin, we will live. We will live in the light. And so, friends, know this truth. Rejoice in this that Jesus says to you, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me pray. Father God, we praise you that into the darkness of this world, into the darkness of sin, into the darkness of foolish self-reliance, into the darkness of our hostility to you. You sent Jesus, the light of the world. We praise you that by Jesus, our sin is exposed, that the light reveals what's hidden in darkness. But Lord, we praise you that Jesus stepped into our darkness so that our sin could be forgiven.
that we would not die in our sin, but that we would instead live in his light. Father, we thank you for this promise, this hope, that if we follow Jesus the light, that we will never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. And we pray that the reality of that truth would be real for us. Help us to know as we go out that the darkness has been overcome, that the light prevails, and that we can enjoy living in your light now and forevermore. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.